in a series called The Difficult Sayings of Jesus, and let's just say these are sayings of Jesus that probably nobody in our church has tattooed on their bodies. When you think of the verses that people love to put some ink to the skin, they usually pick the verses that kind of have a, an ease to them, right? These are the verses that I'm betting nobody has ink on their skin for these verses. We're going to start today in Matthew chapter 8, and it is a great day today, and here it comes. Verse 18 says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And here's a verse I'm betting nobody has. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. I hope you appreciate the scene. There's a man that comes up and says, I want to follow you, but can I first go bury my father? I want to bury my dad. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Happy Father's Day. Let's go ahead and pray. God, help in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. A little while ago, I was out of town, and I have a wallet. I carry a leather wallet, and my wallet was completely used up. Its lifespan was dead. It was probably dead about three years ago. It was staining the pants that I wore and dropping things that were put inside of it, and it was bad. And so I went to a mall in the city where I was, and I wanted just to go find a wallet. I have not searched or shopped for a wallet in a very long time. So I ended up in a store, and I was just like, you know what? I just need a wallet. How bad can this be? So I walk into a wallet, into this store, to go find a wallet. And it was a store I'd never been in, to be honest with you. I'd never been in this store. Uh, and I walked in, and strangely, it was a store where there were no prices on any of the items, which was a little odd. I was like, well, that's strange. You know, and I didn't recognize the name of the store, Louis Villaton or something like that, but... <laughs> I'm just playing. I, I recognized the name, but I had never been in the store. And so I go up, and I, I was looking, and they had maybe 10 or 15 different male wallets. And I just found one. I said, man, I will take that one. And uh, she's like, are you sure you want this one? I'm like, yeah, no, I want this one. And, and anyway, so I take the thing, and she starts to get it. I'm like, well, well real quick, well, so how much is this thing? Now, I do not even want to tell you the last time I bought a wallet how much I paid for it, but when she announced that the price was $895, I couldn't help but say back to her, for $895, the wallet needs to jump on my lap and lick my face. You know, I was like, and she's like, sir, that's the price. I'm like, and at that moment, all I wanted to do was to get out of that store, even though I had already said, I'll take it. And today we're coming to a passage where Jesus talks to two individuals that are claiming that they want to follow him, and he seems to be saying, I'm not so sure you know what you're signing up for when you say you want to follow me. And I want us to jump into this because when it comes to following Jesus, I, I often read this, especially when I was a new Christian, and when Jesus says to a man that just wants to go bury his dad, let the dead bury the dad, it felt so confusing, if not rude and harsh, but I want us to take a closer look at this parable, because Jesus is not doing what I thought he was doing, and he's doing something much better and deeper, and I just want us to jump in. So let's start with verse 18 and talk about the crowds. It says, now when Jesus looked and he saw the crowds, now everyone say the crowds. 
We're coming right out of the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're in Matthew, chapter 8. And just coming before this scene was what is known as the great, I would argue, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. It's called the Sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus goes up on this mountain. This multitude comes and follows him, and he starts dropping some of the best bombs anyone has ever heard, all right? This is like hashtags galore. He is dropping nuggets where people are listening, and they're taking pictures, and they're posting things on social media if there would have been such a thing. It is one of those moments that is just unbelievable. It's like when I've talked to people that have told me my grandmother was there when Martin Luther King did the I Have a Dream speech. It was the kind of thing that for generations, people would say, well, do you know anybody that was there when Jesus said those words? Because these indeed are the words that have resonated through this, not just for about 50 or 60 or 100 years. These are words that have resonated for 2,000 years. This Sermon on the Mount was unbelievable. As soon as he finishes the Sermon on the Mount, we come to chapter 8, where immediately it says that when he's coming down, there's a great crowd of people, and a leper comes up to him. Now, lepers were people that had a skin disease that was unclean, and no one would get near them. He comes up to Jesus, risking his life, and he basically is like, hey, man, you, could, you can heal. If you're willing, I could be clean. Jesus says, I am willing, and he cleanses him with a word. And he says, now, don't go tell anybody. Just go show yourself to the priest, which was always weird because there's, I mean, imagine in the room right now, someone walks up full of some disease, like someone's got some airborne disease and they walk up and everyone's freaking out. I just say, be clean in Jesus' name. And everyone's like freaking out like, whoa, this guy shouldn't be here. And I'm like, hey, now, don't go tell anybody. Well, the issue isn't if he's gonna tell someone. The issue is if the thousand people that are watching are gonna go and tell somebody because the word cannot stay put as the buzz starts to get out. When Jesus heals a leper, he goes into the temple, the priests begin to hear a sermon on a mount, thousands of people, this new rabbi named Yeshua. He leaves a leper, he's on his way. The Bible says the centurion is the next scene. There's a centurion, a Roman Gentile ruling guy that's got power and swag. He comes to Jesus and says, I beg you, my servant is sick. Will you heal my servant? Jesus is like, you want me to go to him? He's like, no, no, no. You don't need to come to him. I know what you're like. You've got authority. You just say the word and it's going to happen. To which Jesus marvels. He's like, wait, who is this dude that understands how things work? This Gentile, he understands. He's like, just say the word and my servant's going to get healed. And friends, let me just pause real quick. Do you understand that all God has to do is say a word and it happens? Let there be light. There's light. Let there be healing. Even some of you now, when I was praying before service, I felt such a burden for people in despair, tristeza, like a sadness, like a heavy burden, this, this deep soul darkness. And I just wanted to pray, even with a word, in the name of Jesus, may your despair be turned into joy. May your anxiety be turned into peace. May your, your darkness be turned into hope. And we've heard so many stories of people that have come into our services and with nothing but a word, they got healed. And if you need a healing today, in the name of Jesus, online, in person, in Orlando right now, be healed, wounds be opened, sicknesses be gone, joints restored in Jesus' name. 
And just like that, his centur- the centurion's servant was healed. And I mean, imagine, he goes back home and, and he's like, the, the rabbi said he didn't even have to come. And he didn't. And he's, I mean, and the word gets out. It's out in the temple. It's out with the crowds. It's out among in the marketplace. Peter takes him to his mother-in-law. Say, su suegra. Su suegra tenía una fiebre. Like she had this fever. Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Jesus goes in and prays for Peter's mother-in-law. She gets healed of her fever. Right after that, a bunch of sick people are there. and People that were oppressed by demonic forces. There are some of you that aren't just oppressed. It's not just physiological. There's some junk that's spiritual. And Jesus would use his power. And people would get free. Even right now, some of you that have been tormented by voices in your head, in the name of Jesus, may those voices grow strangely silent so you can hear the word of God right now. Some of you that have been tormented in your minds, I don't have authority in myself, but we've got authority in Jesus. And I use that authority right now to proclaim freedom over your life in the name of Jesus. And people were getting, I mean, imagine, and there was, the Bible says right before the passage I'm just reading, all these people get free, and it's to fulfill what he spoke. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now it says, and that's where we come today, now Jesus saw crowds, and oh, how we love crowds. Oh, in 2007, I mean, this crowd that we love, when the crowd, we love the crowds. They say 2007 changed the course of human history when the like button was created. Social media had already been going, but when Facebook introduced the like button, now people weren't just posting to connect. Now they were posting for swag, for approval. In fact, the the like button changed things. You used to post and you were just kind of done. Now you post and you had to know like, well, how good was it? Well, well how, like, was it Jane Fonda or Sally Field, one of those that back in the day said at some award ceremony, you all love me. You really love me, don't you? That was like the acceptance speech for an Academy Award. And the like button made it where we sort of got to say, man, you all love me. Like, oh, how many likes did I, it's, it'll be strange. We post things and we'll go check five, 10, 20 times throughout the day to let us know how likable are we. Because we love the crowd. And the Bible says when he saw the crowd around him, and of course there's a crowd because they, they're hearing sermons that they adore and there's healings and there's special effects and, and the juice is loose and demons are growing crazy and people are being healed and getting better. And, and man, the crowd's like, man, we want to see more. Give us more. And there's, there's something in all of us that likes the action like this. And it's every influencer's dream. We're going viral, man. You gotta, you gotta post again. Jesus, po- do another one. Wait, wait, that, that was good healing. Do another healing. Cast out another demon. You got another sermon ready? Because we need another one. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, uh, we gotta bring this momentum that we've got. We need to sustain the momentum. I saw this, Jesus. I was watching marketing.com, you know, like, you know, desperatemarketer.com. What you gotta do is strike it while it's hot. You gotta seize the moment. There's no, there's no substitute for momentum in business. And Jesus, if we're gonna 
build this business called the kingdom of you. We're going to have to make you, Jesus, do it again. And it's every influencer's dream. To, and Jesus, we're, we're identifying the key people. We're going to have everyone post things online at just the right time to keep the crowd. We need the crowd to get bigger. We need it to get stronger. Bigger is better. Jesus, let's do it. And the crowds are buzzing. The glowers, the, 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 there's glow of the followers. And, and then Jesus says something so crazy, confusing, it's nuts. With the crowd all around him on this side of Galilee, he says, let's go to the other side. And I realize it's hard for us to understand what the other side feels like in the 21st century when we hop on our mopeds and bicycles and cars and trains and planes and we can get down to the, to the Caribbean in half a day and we can drive to to, you know, I don't know, we can get down to the Key West in six hours and, and we can go to Disney World and back on the same day. And so for us we're like, that are so mobile, it's a little hard to understand the first century immobility where the average person never leaves like a few miles of where they are. Furthermore, on the other side of this Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberius was this, this other side that was much less clean than the side they were on. It had smells and flavors and sounds that weren't like what they were used to. In fact, we're going to find out because when Jesus gets there, some, there's going to be some demon-possessed people that he's going to have to deal with that are very unclean. And, and they're Jewish, and there's a lot more Gentile, and it's a lot of the people that are on the other side that we call the other side of the tracks. They'd call the other side of the sea. By the way, a little quick time out. Anyone that wants to go to Israel next summer or next year, uh, we'll be going to Israel as soon as Passover's over. I'll be leading a trip over there and we'll see the Sea of Galilee. We'll be talking, we'll be in these places and doing that. If any of you, there's probably 15 to 16, 18 spots left. If you want to do, call to me or talk to Samara if any of you want to do that trip. But it's that kind of a thing where they're like, let's go to this other side. And when you get to that other side, it's like, wait, wait, what, Jesus, you're squashing the momentum. I can almost imagine his disciples saying, Jesus, bad move. This isn't how you build a movement. This isn't how you change the world. Because we in the world that we live in are so convinced that the crowd validates what we do, that we fail to understand that sometimes the most important things in life are utterly missed by the crowd and caught by the few. Hey, Nazi Germany, even if you did vote for Adolf Hitler to become the ruler of that country, that the popular opinion of the crowd does not necessarily mean the choice you made was right. Hey, United States of America, just because the crowd says one thing or another is, is good and right and true does not make it good and right and true because that which is good is that which is right in the eyes of God. The crowd is a terrible determiner of when something is right or true. And social media has utterly deceived us with its algorithms to make us think things are right that are not. And Jesus seems to be saying to us, listen, guys, I get it. You think you are doing the right. They're like, Jesus, your ways are not our ways. To which he's like, you got it. My ways are not your ways. And so right on the way to get in a boat to go to the other side, two guys come up to him. I don't know what their names are. One is a scribe, one's a disciple. One this, the scribe comes up to him and someone give me a name. Let's just, let's name him just so we can get a little, what's a good name for a scribe? George. George the scribe. Okay, I like that. George. Everyone say, what's up, George? So we got George, the scribe that comes up to Jesus and it's a strange thing. Jesus says, we're going to the other side and a scribe whose name was says to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, it's kind of 
difficult for us to appreciate how cool it would have felt to have a scribe show up. But 90% of the population probably was illiterate. Scribes were both illiterate. They could read and they could write. And they were, they were educated in the swag of the day, in the sway of the day. He was a, an expert in the law, the Torah, the law of Moses. So in a, what had been a theocracy, in a world that was led by the religion, I just want you catching, this is something like Justin Bieber walks into one of our services. Beyonce walks into a service. LeBron James walks into a service. Taylor Swift walks into one of the services. You know, one of the great, you know, whoever it is on whatever show that you like, they, they walk in and imagine they walk up to the front and they come up and they say to the preacher, imagine LeBron saying, yo, I want to follow Jesus wherever he leads me. And at that point, Peter and John and James are like, we'll take it. Yes, the answer is Yes. The answer is, thank you, your majesty, King James. The answer is, thank you, Taylor. Th th thank you, Justin. The beeps are, I mean, thank you. Yes, we've got a special seat for you because we love celebrities, don't we? Oh, we love them. People would be taking out their phones. People would be like, oh, look. I mean, they'd be posting. I mean, it would be, I mean, all over. Do you guys see who's talking to the teacher now? Do you guys see? And we are, so, man, when Justin Bieber got baptized with some NBA stars at some celebrity church up in, up in New York, man, it was all over, man. Everyone's like, whoa. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. If Christianity could become cool, isn't that what we need? Gosh, if we could get enough cool, Mike could, I mean, and by, by the way, the churches do that. The churches will actually do this. Like the front rows are reserved for very good-looking, very well-fit, very attractive people. I'll admit it. That's what we've done with our first four rows as well. Okay, that's what we've done. You know? <laughs> no, I'm just playing. We didn't do that. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying that's not what we did. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. Like, there's, there's such a, I mean, all of us do it. Like, we, we meet someone famous, and we're like, oh, my gosh, can I get a picture with you? I mean, we, we know that Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. I, I never see people walk up to people on the street that are begging for money and say, yo, could I get a selfie with you? Why would you want a selfie with me? Because Jesus said, you're Jesus. I, I kind of wanted to get a selfie with the king of the universe. <laughs> Isn't it strange how Jesus's, Jesus's values are they're just so upside down. And so the scribe comes and he says, you know, I've been to a lot of different rabbinic Ivy League schools and I followed this rabbi and that rabbi maybe and I've studied in these schools, but I want you to know, I want to follow you. And he's kind of eager, like he just, Jesus is like, I'm leaving. And he's like, I'm, I'll follow you wherever you go. And, and the disciples, you can imagine, they, they were like, the answer is yes, but I, I think it was like, like I was with some friends one time and, and everyone was like paying for different meals and we ended up at, the, again, I've learned my lesson at this point, but we ended up at a restaurant where there were no prices on the menu. And it was kind of up to me to cover the bill. And when the bill came, I said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> I'm like, there's a reason they don't put the, the prices on there. And the answer is because it's going to give you indigestion and you won't enjoy it, right? And, and Jesus looks at the guy 
who says, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And everyone in the camp must be saying, tell them yes, tell them we'll take it, tell them sold. And then Jesus doesn't say yes, he doesn't say good, he doesn't say thank you. He says the strangest thing. Yo, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. What? Like, like, I know we just read right, but again, like, I've not, none of you, a lot of you have tattoos with Bible on them. None of you have this on your arms. None of you have a champ, we'll call it a champ stamp. None of you have a champ stamp that says, <laughs> that would be a really bad one, right? <laughs> none of you have something on your forehead. None of you have any, we don't have that. Wait, what am I, Jesus, what are you doing? But it's like Jesus is saying to the guy, wait, why do you want to follow me? Well, I heard you preach the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, but why do you want to follow me? Yo, did you hear the crowds? Yeah, but why do you want to follow me? J Jesus, the, did you hear how the people were going nuts? Did you hear how they were, they were loving? Yeah, yeah but, but why do you want to follow me? Lord, the, the demons that came out. Lord, the, the healings that happened. Look at the crowd. I mean, do you see that? The crowd is growing, man. Rome has been tormenting us. Jesus, this, this our foxhole could prosper if you were leading the way. Our tribe is going to overcome if you are leading the way. Jesus, I, don't you, wait, wait, why do you want to follow me? He's like, Jesus, look around. But it's almost like Jesus says to him, I'm not sure you understand what you're saying because all you're doing is seeing the healings. All you're doing is seeing the crowds. All you do is see the stuff. Do you understand though, if you follow me all the way, I know you think you're going to build your brand. I know you think that you're going to do good network working in this crowd. I know you think some really cool things are going to happen, but I want you to understand, George the scribe, I want you to understand, I am not promising you success because you follow me. I was born in a manger, not a palace. I'm going to die on a cross, not in a retirement home. Are you sure you want to follow me where I'm going? I remember when I started following Jesus, I, guys, I, church, I had never seen the stuff like when I started following Jesus and I started coming to this church, I was a college student at UF. And I remember the first service I was in when someone got healed, a friend of mine that was in a cast, broken bones. She was healed on the spot, not by my faith, because I didn't have any. I was chuckling, laughing, mocking while it's happening. Thank God, God is bigger than my cynicism. <laughs> And I remember when she threw down her crutches, ran around a church, and I'm in the same room where multiple people got healed. I'm like, what? And I was like, I'll follow you wherever. I mean, when you just saw someone healed, you'll follow him wherever he goes. I remember when I started seeing the cool, I mean, I was, at one point I was broke as a joke, and I was like, God, I had stepped out to, to follow the Lord and given some money away. And I, I, I'm not kidding you. I was on 13th Street, and I was driving down the street, and and I see a piece of paper flying out of the air. Some of you heard me tell the story. A $100 bill landed right next to my car. I was like, Lord, I will follow you wherever you lead me. <laughs> when the healings are dropping and the Benjamins are dropping, we will follow. But it's almost like he says that if you, if you think the whole book of Matthew is just Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and the first half of Matthew 8... I want, you to read the, I want you to read the price tag before you tell me you want this wallet. I want you to ask me the price before you order your fifth appetizer. And I want you to count the cost before you say you want to follow me.
Church, I want to ask, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? What, what does it mean that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head? I think it means you need to count the cost before you open your mouth. Because Jesus seems to be saying, foxes have a place where they fit, and birds have a place where they fit, and Republicans have a place where they fit, and Democrats have a place where they fit, and liberals have a place where they fit, and conservatives have a place where they fit, and this kind of personality has a place where they fit, and this tribe has a place where they fit. But if you follow me, and if you read everything I have to say, I'm going to say some things that you like when I'm healing. And I'm going to say some things that you like when your tribe or your foxhole agrees with what I'm saying. You're going to say, yeah, which is why Ronald Reagan quoted the Bible and Bush quoted the Bible and Clinton quoted the Bible and another Bush quoted the Bible and Obama quoted the Bible and Trump quoted the Bible and Biden quotes the Bible in seemingly contradictory ways. Because everyone loves to use Jesus where it becomes convenient for them. But it's like Jesus says to this dude, yo, I will not be used. Because I know you think I'm a rabbi, and I am, but I'm also a king. And to, for foxes to have no place to rest their head means, number one, you need to count the cost. Jesus says, if you follow me, you are joining a whole new tribe. To follow Jesus means you will belong nowhere on this earth. You're always going to feel restless. You will be, if you are at home on this earth, something is wrong. If you are at home at the Republican National Convention or at the Democratic National Convention, something is wrong. Something in you should be going on that you love your life, you love God, you love his presence, you love your family, but you are longing for his kingdom to come. Because you're like, man, I don't fit anywhere. You ever have that happen? You'll talk into people like, oh my gosh, I love you. People talk, people say this to me all the time. Mike, I started coming to Greenhouse because I love justice. I love when I hear you talk about justice. And they're like, oh, but but then when you talk about like, I love when you talk about justice in one area, but when you talk about justice and all the problem with justice is justice gets defined by the judge, not humans. And if you push the justice that God says, you're at the end of the day gonna offend every foxhole and every bird's nest. And what happens is people are like, yo, you got to stay in your lane. So, so we, want, we, want, we want preachers to like shout for our foxhole, but whisper for other people's bird's nests. The problem of the kingdom of heaven is that it offends every foxhole and bird's nest eventually. And Jesus says, are you sure that's what you want, scribe George? Well, I want the healings. No, I get it. And you're welcome to come and keep on watching. And you're welcome to come and keep hearing the sermons on the mount. But if you want to come and follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be close to me, if you want real life, you're going to have to count the cost. I married a Puerto Rican woman, and she's 100% Boricua. To follow Jesus, she does not cease being Boricua. To follow Jesus, you don't have to cease being your culture, your nationality, your ethnicity, your tribe. The Bible says every tongue and tribe is going to be gathered at his throne. That means we don't cease being ourselves. But it does mean that our chiefest and deepest identity becomes not Boricua. It becomes, I'm a child of God. Ruthie, is that true? So 
She's absolutely Puerto Rican, but her Puerto Rican reality, her Puerto Rican culture, her Puerto Rican backdrop, everything, it bows itself to the kingdom of Jesus who says, I do not have a place to rest my account the cost, which is why when I talk to so many marriages that fail and I'll hear husbands and wives say, yo, I didn't sign up for this, to which I'm like, well, then what did you sign up for? Because I heard your vows. You know what no one says in their marriages, in their wedding vows? I take you for better or for pretty good. In a little bit of tiredness when I need a couple of lattes and in health. We, we don't really talk like that. We, we say things more like for better or worse. And then worse happens. And we're like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm like, you liar. We all said in our vows, like we got, I, I've started telling people, any of you that do premarital with me, you already know. I'm like, would you consider changing the vows? Because could you go ahead and just consider making your vows something more like, yo, let's do it. Because we're like doing all these premeditated lies where it's almost like they get up there in, on that wedding day and they're like, and if you're a Christian and you're waiting, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll say anything right now. I don't even know what I'm saying, but the answer is yes. And it's almost like Jesus is like, before you say your vows, listen to your vows. I'll follow you wherever you go. Are you sure? Are you going to follow him with your sexuality? Are you going to follow him with your money? Are you going to follow him with your bitterness toward people that have done you wrong? Are you going to follow him with people that hate you? And he said, if you follow me, I want you to love the people that hate you. Because I love the healings. I don't like when I need to be the healer. I love forgiveness. I don't like when I have to be the forgiver. Number one, count. The cost. I, I think people in other countries do this very well. When I was in Pakistan, when they get baptized, they, they don't beg people to get baptized. Hey, if you get baptized, we'll give you some merch from the church. We'll give you a lollipop if you're a kid. They're like, whoa, you're going to get baptized? Please rethink this. This could kill you. Please think about this. They may kidnap your kids. Please rethink this. Please, please think this through. Please count the cost. I don't want to be, I feel like churches are kind of guilty of malpractice because we promise people something Jesus never promised. Jesus promised a kingdom and Jesus promised healing and Jesus promised uh, great things and Jesus promised prosperity and Jesus promised peace and Jesus promised blessings and Jesus promised persecution and hardship, and difficulty, and misunderstanding. And if you follow me, he said, you're going to have no place to rest your head. If you follow me, you'll have nowhere where you fit. And the problem for a lot of us is we fit in a lot of places. And the point of heaven is you're supposed to get to heaven one day, and you're like, finally, the place my soul has always been longing for. It happens to me sometimes when I'm in worship or when I'm in prayer or when I'm reading my Bible or when I'm with some of you or when I'm at microchurch and God shows up and, and there's a part of my soul that I feel that, that it's like an ancient ache of like 
do I belong anywhere? Like, I'm not sure where I belong. And so we kind of give up on it because like middle schoolers almost, we're forever middle schoolers. They're like, hey, am I a goth? Am I a jock? Am I a nerd? Am I a brain? Am I a prep? Like, who am I? And, and we look for the place where we're accepted. And so we make all kinds of sacrifices to fit in and, and whatever, trying to fit in. And, and we settle into foxholes and bird's nests we never should have. And it's almost like Jesus says, listen, you don't fit in any of those places, but you do fit with me. And I can't promise that you're going to fit on this earth if you follow me. I can't promise you heaven on earth if you follow me. But that's the cost. Count the cost, scribe George. Number two. Another follower comes up to him. First thought really is to count the cost, but another follower comes up in verse 21, and, and it's, his, it's one of his disciples. Now, this is someone that's been following him. This is someone that's like paid tuition to go to his school or something like that. This is a disciple. He's actually a follower. It's not one of the apostles. That's coming in a couple of chapters where he'll choose his 12 apostles in chapter 10. It hasn't happened yet. But out of his disciples, Jesus chose 12. This is one of, the, one of these people, and we're just going to call him, we'll call him Disciple Phil. Everyone say, what's up, Phil? This guy comes up to him, and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, what's interesting is he's a disciple, which means he's already following Jesus. He's already in his school. When I first met Jesus and started becoming, when I became a Christian, this verse really offended me, because I'm like, why would you tell a guy he can't go bury his dad? It seems like, so different. It seems like a contradiction. Didn't you say, God, honor your father and mother? And by the way, let me just, let me say this real quick. Jesus is not saying dishonor your father. Any kids in the house right now? Let me give you a great promise. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, because if you do it, it will go well with you. That's what the Bible says. And it's true. This is true. So whatever Jesus is doing, he never violated the law. Furthermore, the law, God's law said, if your father is sick, dying, or dead, you need to be there with your sick, dying, or dead father. Well, this guy's following Jesus currently. He's currently at his school. He's in the school of Jesus, following Jesus. His dad is clearly not dead, and he's not sick, and he's not dying, or he wouldn't be there. Which means something triggers this guy to which the question is, well, wait, wait, what, what just triggered you? Well, what just happened? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. It's almost like he says to Jesus, man, I'm going to follow you if you'll stay here. If following you means listening to your sermons, I'm here. If following you means staying with the crowds, I'm here. If following you means staying in this comfort zone, I'm here. But if following you means going to the other side... Now, now, I don't think the guy's admitting it, but what the guy says is, because the only thing that's different now is Jesus said, let's go to the other side, leave the crowd. And the guy's, yeah, yeah, I will, but first, let, let me go bury my dad. To which Jesus says, wait, why do you want to bury your dad? Well, because I want to honor him. Is your dad dead? No. Is your dad sick? No. Is your dad dying? No. Well, what is it? Ah! Now, some commentators have speculated that the father was going to give the son an inheritance that he would miss out on if that was the case. That may be extreme, and there's, that's total conjecture. We don't know. What I think is probably a very good bet, though, is whatever's going on with his dad, there is a fine line between wanting to honor your father because this pleases God and wanting to honor your father because you desperately need your father's approval. My dad's cool with me coming and listening to you, but my dad, Jesus, is kind of the guy that says, don't take that religion stuff too far, like the other side? Like, wait, son, you're going to the other side? Like, 
where the gatherings are? No, 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 no. No, I'm not down with that. Like, I remember when I told my dad I wanted to become a pastor. And I remember the, the pressure I felt. I, I remember being in a dark room in Boca Raton, Florida, sitting in a chair when I was describing these things to my dad. And I remember him saying to me, the sun's going down. And it was like, it was just poetically dark in the room. And he says, I'm so disappointed in you. I was like, dad, but, uh, he's like, son, you can go waste your life on that dream after you finish a law degree. And, and I remember there was this sense of like, my whole life, like my mother's, I got raised by a single mom, so I'd be with my dad in the summers. My mom's card she got to play to really get me was, if you don't shape up, I'm going to call your father. I'm like, no, 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 no. All I wanted was my dad's approval. That's all I needed in life. I was just like, man, if dad's happy, I mean, I would make grades. I remember when I was, dad, I made honorable dad. I made deans. I mean, I, like, I would want my dad to. So when dad says, oh, there's a, there's a part of you that's like, I, again, I know that's not everyone, and I'm, and I'm just saying there's something going on here when this guy, what does it mean to let the dead bury their dead? I, I think it means not I want you to dishonor your father in his death. I think God is saying I want you to honor me even more than you honor him. I don't want you to dishonor your father. I don't want you to not love your father. I want you to love your father more than almost anyone in the world but I want you to love me even more than you love your father. And I know you want your father's approval, but I want you to long for my approval even more. What does it mean to let the dead bury the dead? I think it means at some point you're going to have to pay the price. If, if scribe George needed to hear you got to count the cost, I think disciple Phil needs to hear, there's going to come a point when you get married, it's not just theoretically for better or worse, all of us that are married, we know it. Worse is coming. Can I get an amen? Gravity is going to hit. The body's going to lose its shape. Hormones are going to kick in on your husband, and your husband's going to get hormonal. Marriages are going to get strained, and, and you're going to have kids. And I've had ladies sometimes tell me, oh my gosh, what's happening to my kids? I'm like, what? They're, I had a child. I thought there'd finally be someone that loves me unconditionally. I'm like, well, children is a terrible idea for that. Like, well, I just wanted someone that would just love me for who I am. I'm like, a child? He's going to tear your heart up, rip it into a thousand pieces, throw it on the ground. If you're having a kid because of something you can get out of a kid, please reconsider. And Jesus is saying, if you are following me because of just what you'll get out of me, I get it. But if you're going to follow me, Please count the cost, and at some point, you're going to have to pay the price. What does it mean to let the dead bury the dead? I think it means a teenager that's been friends with another teenager for 10 straight years, and they've been best buddies their entire life, and, and there's like a teenage trip going out to someone's uh, you know, house with a bunch of the friends, and everyone thinks it's innocent, but they know it's not just going to be innocent, and, and this one teenager wants to really follow Jesus, and the other guy's a Christian as well, but, and he's like, hey man, let's just go, but we're going to have some stuff, and he's like, whoa, I'm, I'm not so sure I can go, and like, oh man, come on, I mean, you gotta, the, man, the crew's got to stick together. 
It's like, no, no, I, listen, bro, I will be faithful to you. I will never gossip about you. I won't turn on you. I, I got your back. But if you're asking me to compromise my integrity for the sake of our friendship, when it comes down to Jesus or you, Jesus wins every time. I think let the dead bury the dead means when your boss says, I need you to do some things that are illegal or I need you to do some things that are dishonest or else you'll never get the promotions. You're never getting, I think letting the dead bury the dead means I'm willing to lose the approval of my boss and maybe even the job itself because I follow Jesus. And if going to the other side means my dad's not going to like it, if telling the truth means the boss is not going to like it, it means let the dead bury the dead means when it comes time to pay the price, I pay that price. It means there's some weddings you can't go to. And you're like, oh my gosh, what would they think if I don't go? There's some parties you don't show up at because you know that all, those, all they do is gossip in those parties. You're like, I don't go. I just can't go into that place. It means that there's some social media pictures, God forbid, that you don't click like on. And you're like, oh, but what would they think if they noticed that I did not like that anti-Jesus post that they just made. It means letting the dead bury the dead means there are some times when following Jesus means paying the price of losing the approval of earth because you are obsessed with the approval of heaven. It means when God convicts you, maybe there's something that you stole and you need to make it right and you go give it back. It means that, that maybe you've never been baptized and, and you know that to follow Jesus means repent and be baptized. And you keep on putting it off and put just like this guy says, Lord, I'll follow you. Well, but first, but, but, but later, if you've never been baptized in water, come get baptized today. Don't postpone obedience one more hour. Let the dead bury the dead. Well, I wanted all my friends. We'll put it on video and let them watch. But some of us have postponed for eight months now, waiting for the right friends to get here. And Jesus is saying, when will I become the right friend? Because baptism is not just about you doing something in the eyes of someone else. It's you doing something in the eyes of the Lord. Mike, what's, what's, what's the big thought here today? It's simply this. I think there's a hasty scribe George in all of us that speaks before we think. And I think there's a reluctant... Disciple Phil in all of us that is slow to say yes and postpones. There's a part of all of us that wants to use Jesus to support our foxholes and use Jesus to gather our crowds and, and to use Jesus to, to do what we want him to do. But true discipleship is going to cost you everything. True discipleship is going to cost you everything. So why would anyone ever do it? Well, I'll just give you an illustration and bring this message to a close. In John chapter 6, Jesus had a big crowd. He had fed a bunch of people. He had multiplied food. He'd fed. There's thousands of people getting fed. A kid brings up some lunch, and he feeds all these people. And there's thousands, feeds 5,000 people. 5,000 of them, at least men. And he feeds them, and, everyone, and there's a crowd, and the disciples are loving it, and the selfies are going, and the hashtags are going crazy. And, and then Jesus gets up, and he opens his mouth and does some of the verses no one tattoos on their arms. He says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Sick. And everyone starts to leave. And the longer he preaches, the more they leave. In fact, Jesus was such a great preacher 
that 5,000 people turns into 12. Okay, literally 4,988 people disappear. Jesus is looking at us. Peter's like, yo, 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 he's just joking. Jesus, do another miracle. Lord, walk on some water. Jesus, do something crazy. Do a special effect. Come on, God. But everyone leaves. They pour out their iced tea. They all take off, pick up their chairs and leave. And then Peter's like, Lord, look. And then Jesus says an interesting thing to Peter. Peter, are you going to leave too? And it's really the question for all of us. Because the church has been disappointing, and the Hillsong documentary is disappointing, and celebrity Christianity is disappointing, and all the deconstruction is disappointing, and all the hypocrisy is disappointing, and, and all the failures is disappointing, and, and Christians that used to be strong that they're not anymore. It's just, there's so, much, there's so many excuses. And Jesus is like, are you going to take off too? And then Peter says this thing to me. It's one of my favorite places in the whole Bible. He's like, yo, where am I going to go? In other words, he's thought about this. Where am I going to go? You alone. You alone are worthy of the highest praise. Oh, my love. You alone. You alone, Lord, are worthy. You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone can take my sin-stained heart and make it different. You alone can take all the abuse and the stuff that happened to me when I was a kid and the abuse that my uncle did. And You alone can take the wounds from my father, my mother, my friend. You alone can breathe. You alone in a minute can undo what a lifetime of, Jesus, there's, where else am I going to go? I love this story because the scribe, we've got these two people, a scribe and a disciple, and the scribe, we never hear from him again. It's like, where did he go? We don't know. There's no book named after scribe George. We never hear from him again. Apparently, nothing happened with this guy. He peaced out. But it's interesting because early church history tells us this disciple actually had a name. His name was Phil. Perhaps we might call him Philip. A lot of tradition says that this was actually a disciple named Philip. That when asked to pay the price and count the cost, he did so. Two chapters later, when Jesus is up on a mountain, he chooses 12. And one of them had the name Philip. Who lost the approval of a crowd, but he gained the audience of the king. And 2,000 years later, I have no clue who George really was. But I can tell you this. Jesus saw something in Philip upon which he has turned the world upside down. And I dream of us being a church that is willing to come to him to count the cost and to pay that price. And when we get to the point where we're like, I'm not sure that I can, we, we reach that place where we're like, wait, why would I ever do that? And the answer is, because you alone are worthy of the highest praise and all my love. That's why when Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but he drops this strange word, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. He's quoting from a theme of the Old Testament where I end, the son of man, Daniel chapter seven. There was one like the son of man who came and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
See, as long as Jesus is just useful to you, at some point, he won't be useful. At some point, you'll lose a job. At some point, a marriage is going to go bad. At some point, the kids are not going to do what you want them to do. At some point, life is going to be rough. And when Jesus ceases to be useful, if you only served him because he's useful, you'll be done, which is what we're seeing happen in mass. But there's some of us that have tasted and seen and we know we do not follow him because he's useful. We follow him because he's beautiful. Because he is glorious. Because our God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above with wisdom and power and love. Our God is an awesome God. There are some of us that know that Jesus is not just the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. The Son of Man was the title given to let us know this is God who has become human. Who would do that? Do you see this? The gospel is that Jesus left his foxhole of heaven. He left his bird's nest, his security of heaven to come to us, to go to the other side. We're the demon-possessed people like us were. We're the wrecks like us were. We're the messes like us. Come, we're going to the other side. You can imagine angels like, you're going to earth? You live in heaven? Yes. Why would you go there? Because these people to me, they're not just made in my image. These people to me are beautiful. And Jesus comes to earth to go to a cross to pay the price for us because he loves us. And when the love of God that passes knowledge comes upon your soul and like, wait, you love me? Something happens when you're like, wait, why would you do that? And when Jesus ceases just being useful and he begins to be glorious and beautiful, you say, I'll follow you wherever you go and mean it. And that's my dream for us. Dads on Father's Day, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Tell your families it's not just you'll go to hell if you don't follow him. Tell him how great he is. Is there anyone so beautiful as him? Is there anyone more glorious than him? Is there anyone greater than him? If there is, go follow him by all means. But he alone is worthy of the highest praise in all your love, in all your life.